And happy Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know why today's not a national holiday, but it should be because the Super Bowl is on. On the count of three, tell me who you got, Broncos or Seahawks. One, two, three. Okay, well, a couple kids anyway have Broncos. Sounds like we're split right down the middle. Maybe next year it'll be our Chiefs. Who knows? We're in Matthew chapter 6 today. If you have your Bible, we are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We've been here all month long in January. We'll be here almost through the month of March, and we are learning the words of Jesus all first quarter at JCI. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They've got a Bible you can use every Sunday. We're going to open God's Word. We're going to read it. We're going to learn from it. We want you to mark in it. We want you to have one. We've given away more than 600 Bibles just like this since our church began. So if you don't have one or you forgot one or you want to follow along today in a Bible, just wave at the ushers and they'll make sure and put one in your hands. If not, maybe fire up your tablet or your phone and, uh, and make sure you follow along this morning. And today we begin, as we climb into Matthew chapter 6, a three-week stretch of teaching that we're calling Winning Over Worry and Stress. Winning Over Worry and and stress. We're going to find out that one of the things that Jesus wants us to know how to do, those of us who follow Jesus and who, who would say that, that Jesus is, is our Savior, that Jesus is our Lord, Jesus says, I want to make sure that the people who are following me don't live in anxiety and worry and stress all the time. And his words on this subject are very direct in Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 25. And we'll run through verse 33 today. Then we'll come back and look at it a little bit. And for the next three weeks, we're going to live right here in what Jesus has to say about really overcoming worry, stress, anxiety in the life of, uh, of a Christian. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, Matthew 6, 25, do not worry about your life. We should underline that and we should all kind of chuckle inside ourselves that Jesus would say something so simple. Therefore, I tell you, just don't worry about your life. What you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And if your mind is shaped like me, I read the last verse of that text and say, well, what's going to happen about today that I need to worry about? Because I am a chronic worrier. I don't just worry. I, I, I stress. I live in anxiety. I try to extrapolate every situation, any possible way that it could turn out and make sure that, that I've got all my bases covered in, in anything that could possibly ever happen in my life. I read this text and I feel like Jesus is sitting down to have a conversation with me personally when he says, Christian, you can't live like this. You cannot live your life in a state of worry. This is not the way that I want you to live life. If you, if you haven't yet, make sure you reach inside your bulletin and pull out your sermon notes so you can follow along and grab that pen because I want you to take some notes today. But as we look at the background context for what Jesus is saying about worry, 
You say, where's this coming from? Why, why has Jesus pulled out of the air that he doesn't want us to worry? What, what is Jesus trying to teach us that worry has anything to do with? The Sermon on the Mount really begins in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. I've put these verses on your sermon notes, but I want to make sure you have them underlined in your Bible because Matthew presents to us the life of Jesus as first his mom and dad, then the angel comes to them, then he's going to be born, then we celebrate Christmas, then Jesus is baptized and goes into the wilderness. But Jesus doesn't really begin his ministry as Matthew lays it out to us until Matthew 4. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus has his first words of ministry. If, if this were a play, this would be act one, scene one. Jesus steps on and his first line of ministry in Matthew 4, 17 is repent. That's his first word. The word repent, if you haven't done this already, you need to circle it uh, either on your sermon notes or in your Bible. The word repent means change. The very first line of ministry that Jesus ever had in the New Testament, according to Matthew, is you need to change. You say, okay, we need to change and do what? Matthew 4, 19 answers that question. The second line of Jesus' ministry that he gave to his disciples is found in Matthew 4, 19. In Matthew 4, 17, Jesus says, repent. In Matthew 4, 19, Jesus says, follow me. Jesus isn't saying, Let, just, just follow me and I'll show you how to get where you need to go. Jesus is saying, become like me. The opening statement of Jesus' life and ministry that he would live and lead for three years was you need to change your life and become more like me. That's the whole basis. That's the whole bottom line of Jesus' ministry. You need to change your life and become like me. And, and the natural question would be like, okay, well, how do we do that? And Jesus says, I'm glad you asked, sit down. And he began to teach through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that we have in our Bible what we call the Sermon on the Mount. You see, a Christian is someone who doesn't just follow Jesus, but somebody who's supposed to become like Jesus. So this year at our church, we're calling 2014 at Journey the year of Jesus. And let me tell you why. We have a lot of people who come to our church who have never really gone to church before they started coming to our church. We have a lot of people coming to our church who never owned a Bible till they came to our church. We have a lot of people coming to our church who didn't know anything about Jesus till they started coming. And the Jesus of the Bible is becoming very attractive to them. And the life that Jesus says that we should lead and the things that Jesus says he'll do for us are becoming very attractive to them. And I go out with people all the time who are new to our church and I say, you know, tell me about your faith experiences and, and we ask questions and, and we talk and I help them get to, get to know the Bible. And one of the men who came to our church who didn't really go to church before, didn't know much about the Bible, but he didn't have a, a great view of what Christianity was. We were having lunch several months back. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I've started reading the Bible. And he said, I like the Jesus of the Bible a whole lot more than the Jesus I've heard about my whole life. I like the Jesus of the Bible a whole lot more than the Jesus I've heard about my whole life. And I thought, Lord, what if we have a bunch of people in our church who've heard a lot about Jesus but don't know the Jesus of the Bible? And as a pastor, I said, I'm going to commit for a year just to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about who he was. We're going to talk about what he did. We're going to teach on what he taught on. We're going to spend a year looking at the life of of Jesus. And in this life of Jesus, the, the most important sermon Jesus ever gave was one called the Sermon on the Mount. That's why we're spending the first 10 weeks of this year on the Sermon on the Mount. And I have challenged you this year to really own spiritually the Sermon on the Mount. On January 12th, I said, here's my challenge to you between now and Easter for the first three months of the year. I want you to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. These are the 111 verses of the Sermon on the Mount. Every Sunday afternoon, in, in January, February, March. Every Sunday afternoon, I want you to read the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you, I want you to go to the next step, and I want you to actually, between now and Easter, I want you to write out the Sermon on the Mount. And some of you are going to, I'm going to ask you once a month to write out the Sermon on the Mount, because you're going 
You're going to see it differently when you're writing it than when you're reading it. Some of you are going to go to the next step and you're going to memorize the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. We actually had someone in our church who found this Beatitudes bookmark that we've put in your bulletin. And we did that because we said, okay, for people who want to memorize it, we'll just put it in their hand so they can throw this in their car or their truck or on their dashboard, set it on their desk, and they can look at it. We're asking people to memorize these eight verses, so we'll just give it to them and make it real simple. So make sure you take that home with you today. We asked some of you to memorize it together as a family. That's what my wife and I, my 12-year-old and 10-year-old are trying to do. Every week we memorize the next beatitude. This week we'll be on week four memorizing it together as a family. And I challenge some of you to memorize the entire thing. And before you say that's impossible, if you go back to January 12th, we, one of the men in our church who is a youth ministry worker uh, who helps set up signs outside, not, not one of our pastors, but just one of our people, quoted to you the entire Sermon on the Mount that he took about three months to memorize to show you that it's possible if you'll put your mind to it. Because if we're going to try to become more like Jesus, we should try to remember everything that he said. We should try to know everything that he did. And Jesus says, you need to change and become like me. And part of becoming like Jesus, I want you to listen to this, is worrying less. According to Jesus, part of changing our life to become more like him is not worrying so much about the things that we worry about. Six times in Matthew 6, 25 through 33, Jesus uses the word worry in our key text. I'm going to tell you in a minute why it's actually the wrong English word that gives us the wrong English thought. Three times Jesus says specifically, do not worry. But Jesus doesn't say, don't worry, be happy. Uh, That was a great song and makes for a great t-shirt. But Jesus didn't say, don't worry, be happy. Jesus said, don't worry, be focused. And I want to show you what I mean by that in just a minute. That's kind of the title of our Bible study time together is, is don't worry, be focused. I want you to turn to the person that you came with this morning and, and just look at them and say, you need to stop worrying so much. All right, now, now listen, now. Now I want you to turn to yourself. I want you to turn to yourself now and I want you to say, we, meaning you, yourself, and, and anyone else that lives in your head. I, I want you to say... <laughs> Just go ahead and talk to yourself as if there's two of you. I I want you to say to yourself, we need to stop worrying so much. Right? Now, listen, I don't know about you, but this is an area in my life I I need more of Jesus in and less of me. And it's funny because as Jesus continues to focus his teaching on our inner spirit, And how it impacts the the outward actions of our life, which is all he did in Matthew chapter 5. If your spirit's this, your actions this. If your spirit's this, your actions this. If your spirit's this, your actions this. And if we quit focusing on actions and we focus on the spirit, your actions will change. Jesus says as we focus on the inner spirit, we need to talk about worry. Now the word worry is an old English term. This is going to be funny to some of you because how true it is. It's an old English term that means strangling or choking life from. And some of you today are strangling your future, your happiness, your marriage, your money, your joy. You literally are choking the life out of the abundant life that Jesus wants you to live because of your worry. And you just can't enjoy any moment of any day because worry has gripped your life so tight and when I say yours I mean mine this is a series I can't wait to learn and I just pray to God I as your pastor I can learn how to apply it like I learned how to teach it Jesus says you need to become more like me 
You need to change and become more like me. How do we do that, Jesus? You need to learn to stop worrying. And as I went through this text and I realized that I had three weeks to teach it, I thought, all right, Lord, show me exactly what I need to see to help us understand why we worry so much and how we can stop worrying. And over three weeks, I'm going to try to show you that. But here's the first thing I really saw as I read this text over and over and over and over and over again. I realized, according to Jesus, that it's our pursuits beyond our basic needs that have the ability to really cause worry in our life. Jesus said the pursuits beyond your basic needs, you need to understand that they can cause worry in your life. And really we find this more near the end of the text than the beginning. If you go to Matthew 6 verse 32, in Matthew 6 32, Jesus says, if I can get on the right page of scripture, he says, pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. I looked up that word run after. In the original language. I wanted to see what Jesus was saying. And Jesus was saying there are some people who are literally, they're running after things instead of me. And to run after means to pursue or to seek after at all cost and with maximum effort. It's the picture of a dog chasing a cat. If you have a dog that likes to chase cat, I mean just reckless abandon and focus on something. Jesus says if you get recklessly abandoned and focused on things beyond just your basic life needs that I take care of, it can really cause you to worry. And as I looked at this and as I look at the generation that I'm living in, I really believe that we're living in the run-after generation. You and I are living in the run-after generation. And it's a generation that's starting to get really tired. You know what I mean? Like you and I are living in this run-after generation, pursuing with maximum effort, not just what we need, but what we want, what we feel we deserve. And it's a generation that really is beginning to look tired and weary. It's a generation that is, you know, as I step into this generation, even even all the the self-help gurus are trying to get us to do what's right at at the quickest possible way to do what is right and myself and you know I've got dozens of couples who are friends of Danielle and I's who have all been introduced to a Dave Ramsey type of life strategy and I see young couples who are literally um, tired because they're so they're so quickly pursuing no debt that they've created no life you know I'll never forget when Danielle and I sat down with with someone who's really close to us and we, we were just, we were living at our wits end because we were trying to pay off debt and pay off debt and pay off debt and pay off debt and get ahead. And we had quit taking vacations and we had quit going on dates and we had quit going out. And, and we, had quit, we had really quit living life so that we could pay off debt. And I'll never forget a guy saying, you're going to get five years down the road and have no debt and have no life and have no joy. You need to pace yourself a little bit. You don't have to do everything at the pace of now because life can't work that quickly. I, I see people who, that are on, are, who are on the fast track at work, but because they're on the fast track at work, they're on the fast track to burnout. And they'll do anything to run after just a little more so they can achieve a little more, hoping one day they can just slow down just a little bit. But being on the fast track at work has led to being on the fast track to burnout. We live in a generation that's pushed too hard to live too well later that we're living in too much stress right now. And I had a conversation with the dad in our church just out in the, in the cafeteria. I, I called the foyer, but it's a school, not a church. We were out in the cafeteria, and somebody I hadn't seen a lot lately, and I said, hey, man, how are things going? And he just said, man, things are really busy. 
And I said, I, you know, I know, and it, and it kind of hit me. I thought, you know, the majority of our church is between kind of 25 and 55. We're all in the push phase of life, just pushing a little faster. And really, it's not 25 to 55. But what I've found out that from when people have kids, for the next 25 years, life is spent just trying to finish that 25 years. And he said, you know, I'm trying, we're trying to figure out how to pay down our our debt and pay off our house and set up a college fund and we're trying to make sure our retirement and and basically everything he said to me was something that wasn't going to happen for 20 years that he stressed about now and I thought we're living in this run after generation that has the capacity to cause a lot of worry and basically we've created a culture of worry in our churches in our homes in our schools We live in this culture of worry, but worry is the wrong word. Worry is not the word that Jesus used. Because worry, if you just look it up in the dictionary, worry is a state of thought. Worry is something you think. Jesus didn't use the word worry. Jesus really used the English word anxious. See, worry is a state of thought. Anxious is a state of being. And Jesus said, you aren't just people, your your minds aren't just occupied with worry. Your lives have become overwhelmed with worry. Anxious is living worried, not just being worried. It's the thought I can't sleep. And when I wake up, my mind is racing. And my teeth are grinding. And I've got so much to do. And I'm chewing my fingernails and I'm shaking my knee and I need just a little more caffeine. And I'm I'm not just worried for a moment. I'm literally anxious 24 hours a day and living on edge. Because we're in this push generation of we have to attain everything for later now or maybe we won't have it. And it's created this world of anxiety. You know, the founder of the Mayo Clinic, Dr. Charles Mayo, said worry, just when it comes to what happens physically, he said worry affects circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. I've never met a man or known a man to die of overwork, but I've known a lot who have died of worry. And I look at our generation today and I see a lot of people who have the symptoms and the syndrome of worry, and they're living in anxiety that's almost unbearable. And Jesus said, only pagans should live this way. Now, the word pagan is not an accusation. It's a description. A a pagan is someone who does not believe that God exists to take care of them. It's someone who who doesn't live with a belief that God will provide for them. So Jesus, when he describes pagan, Jesus says there are some people who don't believe God loves for them, who don't believe that God cares for them, who don't believe that God knows them. And there, there are people, not accusing them, but describing them, there are people who think they have to do everything for them because God will not take care of them. And God said, as a Christian, when you put all the onus for your life and your future on your shoulders and you are taking care of you, you're acting like a pagan. You're basically saying, I love God, I worship God, I've trusted Him with my soul and my eternity but my life is mine to take care of. And he said, when you worry, you're basically becoming your own God and trying to figure it out your own way. And it's funny because Jesus said, here's here's what doesn't have to worry. Birds, barns, flowers, grass. Jesus tells us that none of these things is forgotten. And then he reminds us that that means including and especially you. Jesus said, birds and barns and flowers and grass, they don't worry because I take care of them. And Jesus said, if I take care of them, how much more am I going to take care of you? You know, worry at the root cause, worry is the thought that God has forgotten us, that God won't take care of us, 
that God can't be trusted. At the root, worry, Jesus says, is a spiritual thing. People who worry a lot trust very little spiritually. And Jesus says what happens is our spiritual concern becomes an emotional concern, which actually results in physical weakness, which drives us further from God. Now, this doesn't have to happen, but it does. I want you even to go back and look at point number one. I want you to circle one of the words. I said pursuits beyond our basic needs can cause worry. Circle the word can. They don't have to. And nowhere in this text does Jesus tell us any of these pursuits are wrong. Jesus just says focusing on the pursuit rather than the God or the pursuits above the God is going to cause you to live in a lot of worry. You know, most people who are not able to really be committed to our church, if you ask them why, it's because they're too busy pursuing something that they're worried about. And if they don't get it, they don't know if God will provide it. And at the end of the day, they're just, they're just too worn out with the life that they've created that doesn't have God taking care of them. So Jesus says, if you can, if you can change pursuing things beyond your basic needs, you can maybe change how you worry. But then Jesus says, secondly, if you can change your focus you can change your worry. Number two, if you can change your focus, you can change your worry. Now, Jesus is a pretty smart guy, and, and I, I realize that more and more all the time. I was in an airport in Chicago on, um, on Friday this week, flying up to celebrate my mom and dad's 40th anniversary with them. And this was one of the magazines that was on the stand right as I exited the airplane. And it was called, the, it, it, it says, The Mindful Revolution, The Science of Finding Focus in a Stressed Out multitasking culture. And I thought, this sounds kind of like the sermon I'm preaching. So I bought the magazine and I started reading it. And basically, there's about a 10-page spread in here devoted to this thought that Jesus gave us 2,000 years ago. A bunch of MIT PhDs and Harvard PhDs have realized that the only way you're going to end your stress is by taking time to focus on things that aren't stressful. Now, I don't know how much education they had to get to figure this out, and I don't know how much research went into writing this magazine, but this is exactly what Jesus said 2,000 years ago in Matthew chapter 6. And if you remember the review that we had in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5, if you can change the way you think, you can change the way you live. Six times Jesus said, you've heard that you're supposed to do this, but actually if you do this, it'll be different. And you've heard that you're supposed to think this, but if you think this, it'll be different. And six times Jesus said, if you can change the way you think about something, you can literally change your life. You've changed the way you think, you can change the way you live. And in Matthew 6.33, Jesus didn't tell us that pursuing things was bad. Jesus just said you need to pursue them secondary. And in Matthew 6.33, he said, let me talk to you about focus. Don't worry, be focused. Here's what he said. Seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, there's a weird parallel between worry and worship because they take the same mental muscles to develop. Worry is the continual focus on an object that we're uncertain about. And we think about it, 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 and we think about it. It's the continued focus on something we're uncertain about and how it's going to turn out. That's literally how worry develops. Worship is a continual focus on who God is and what God has done. But worry and worship use the same mental muscle in our brain. And the truth is you cannot do both at the same time. You know, I was reading through this magazine article. 
And it said the key, this is going to sound funny, it said the key to worrying less is meditation. And I read that and I thought, that's what God said. In Joshua 1.8, when Joshua was scared, when Joshua was worried, when Joshua had to go into the promised land, remember what, Jesus, remember what God said to him? Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate, hmm, meditate on it day and night. I don't know whether Joshua was supposed to cross his legs and hold his fingers and, and close his eyes and hum, but God said, I want you to stop and I just want you to think about me. I want you to meditate. So I read this and I thought, man, I could have written this article because it's right in the Bible. And I'm reading what they're writing about science and I'm seeing Jesus said the exact same thing 2,000 years ago. If you want to remove some of the worry in your life, you need to focus on God more. Let me give you a picture of what this looks like. And in the next two weeks, we'll begin to break down how to functionally do this better as a Christian. In Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bible, you can turn over there. We meet a, uh, we meet a family that we know from Scripture because we, they're, they're some of Jesus' very best friends. It's two sisters. Their names are Mary and Martha. They have a brother whose name is Lazarus. He dies and is later raised from the dead. But in Luke chapter 10 and verses 38 through 42, we're given a picture of this family. And we see one family member, Mary, who's happy, who's healthy, who's got this real intimate relationship with Jesus as Messiah. And then we see her stressed out sister. And Jesus tells us exactly why she's stressed out. So all this learning from Matthew chapter 6, we kind of see a picture of in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he did. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came, to ask, she came and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, and indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from it. What did Mary do? Mary chose to focus on Jesus more than the things that had to get done. See, as I study Luke chapter 10 and, and I study Matthew chapter 6 and I put them together, I realize that as a Christian, because Jesus says, Christian, you need to change and become more like me, which means you need to worry less. Okay, God, how do I do that? God says, you have to move your worry from a lot of things to a few things to one thing. And what I see in Scripture is our worry decreases as we move from placing a high value on many things. What are you, what are you worried about? You know, the truth is what you're worried about today may not be important tomorrow if something more important happens tomorrow. You say, what do you mean by that? Let me give you an example. Most of us, we, we worry about our jobs. We worry about um, a report that's due at the end of next week. We worry about our bills. We worry about our kids going to college. We worry about whether, whether or not our, our kids are dating the right people. Um, we worry about what we're going to wear. We, you know, we worry about if we're going to go. I mean, we, we just, you name it. If you're like me, I can worry about, about pretty much anything that I can think about. But that worry decreases when I go from many things to a few things. If you were to say, Christian, what are the most important things in your life? The worry really decreases. And I find out as I get older, I'm, I'm thankful for more key things in my life. You see, I, I'm not worried much about my next paycheck 
when I find out that my wife or my kids is sick and hurting. I don't worry so much about whether or not our church is ever going to have a building on the land if I were to find out today that something was wrong with my mom or my dad. See, when, when we go from worrying about many things to just the important few things, things change. There's a story about John Wesley, who you know, was one of the greatest pastors that ever lived and had this intimate relationship with God. And it's said that one day John Wesley's house burned down and they found him out on the evangelistic trail preaching on horseback. And they said, Mr. Wesley, your house has burned down. And he really didn't make much comment. And they said, Mr. Wesley, your house has burned down. And he said, I don't own a house. And they said, yes, you do. We know where you live and it's burned down. And he said, listen, God gave me that house. If he doesn't want me to have that one, he'll give me another one. I'm not really that worried about it. You see, when we go from many things to few things, we worry less. Now, if, you, if I were to say list the top five things in your life, if we're having a good day right now, we might list our job and our marriage and some things. But this week we had someone in our church diagnosed with cancer. I bet there are a few things this week are different. This week we had someone in our church that started dialysis. I bet this week their few things are different than our few things. This week I got a call on Friday morning that a 23-year-old dad in our church on Thursday night took his life. I bet that family's few things are different than your few things. And see what happened is Jesus said, when you're pursuing all this extra stuff, you get worried about all of it. But if you can realize things are things and you can go from many things to few things, and if you can ever learn to go from few things to one thing, just focus on me. He said, I promise you I'll help you take care of everything else. Jesus says, if your many things can go to few things and your few things can go to one thing, you're going to worry less. In Isaiah 26.3, the prophet Isaiah said that God would keep in perfect peace. You need to underline those two words on your sermon notes because that is the absolute contrast to worry, perfect peace. God will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. The prophet Isaiah, who, if you read through his ministry, did not have great things going on in his life, said, I can live in perfect peace when the diagnosis is bad, when I lose my job, when my kids are hurting, when I worry about the economy. I can live in perfect peace when the rest of the world seems to be in chaos, when I get that late night call that tragedy has hit. I can live in perfect peace when the world is in chaos if I will focus on Jesus and know that he's there for me. Now, a lot of you focus on Jesus a little bit on Sunday. Many of you focus on Jesus a little bit in your small group. But if we could learn to be more focused on Jesus, I believe we would learn to worry less. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us in Matthew chapter 6. And there's a word that Isaiah gives us that's a word that we don't often use in, in today's culture, but it's, a, but it's a nice thought. I flew up this weekend to celebrate my mom and dad's 40th anniversary with them just south of Chicago. My sisters threw them a party, and we were there with a lot of friends and family, and they played the newlywed game, the not-so-newlywed um, game on their 40th anniversary. And they had all these questions about their first date and you know, where their first date was and where they first met and all these things. And my mom and dad define their relationship different than Danielle and I define our relationship and probably even more different than my kids will define their relationship. You see, if, you, if you're in your 30s, 
You know, maybe you went out a couple times, then you started dating, then you got engaged, then you got married. See, my mom and dad had a time when they started going steady. You remember, you remember that word for those of you whose, whose parents, they, they talk about that? They started going steady. I think I've got a picture. Yeah, there's my folks um, on Friday night. What Isaiah is saying here in Isaiah 26.3, he's saying people who will go steady with God, like they'll make it official, and, and all day, every day, they're each other's. That's what he, it's the word steadfast. That's what it means, steady, consistent. People who will go steady with God and attach to him for real forever, they're going to worry a lot less than people who are just hit and miss spiritually with God. And then I love what Jesus does in Matthew 6, because Jesus says, if you will go steady with God, you'll worry less. And all these things, you'll probably have them too. Jesus never tells us that all these things aren't important. Jesus never tells us that all these things shouldn't be pursued. He just tells us not to make them priority in our lives if we want to worry less. He doesn't say don't save for a college fund. He doesn't say don't save for retirement. He doesn't say to think long term. He doesn't say not to get out of debt. Jesus doesn't say just don't worry about life and focus on me. He doesn't want any of us to become a monk, move to a monastery, and not worry about anything else. He said all those things are great. But if you'll prioritize me and let them come next... You're going to have less worry. Now, how do we have less worry after we prioritize Jesus and we still know all these things are coming? How, how do we have less worry? Well, next week, Jesus is going to show us how the stress of all these things can be brought to him. So even in all those things, we can worry less. But I know this, in Matthew 4.17, Jesus has changed the way you live. In Matthew 4.19, he says, become more like me. And of all the things that he's taught us, Jesus said, if you want to become more like me, you need to worry less. Now listen, I don't know where you are today, but I know we prayed today with our children's workers. There are people in our church today who are weary, who are tired, who are hurting, who are worried. And if you want a summary of next week's message, it's going to be this. You need to bring those worries immediately as soon as you can to Jesus. And I want to close this morning by allowing you to do that. So if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes.